What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Folks, welcome to Pickaxe and Roll, presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. It is Tuesday night as I'm recording this on an off day. The Nuggets, they don't play until Wednesday night. You'll probably be listening to this on a Wednesday if you do. Uh, So Denver's going to be on a back-to-back, and we are going to be very interested to see what happens between... Uh, the New Orleans Pelicans game on Wednesday, and then the San Antonio Spurs game on Thursday in a back-to-back. Of course, I'll be podcasting on those games at that point, so make sure to check that out too. But for now, I wanted to get into uh, what I think is not necessarily a healthy conversation, but I, I do think that Denver, after the first quarter of the season, with no real help in sight given the injuries that they have sustained. Uh, multiple season-ending injuries. Murray's injury is not uh, like like he's not coming back until a certain period of time that I think is at least six weeks away, at the very least. Uh, there are certain things and certain aspects of this roster that I think we can fairly point out and say, hey, look, this is going to be an ongoing issue. It might not be uh, with regard to guys like Jamichael Green and Faku Campazzo. Like, they could still bounce back for sure. I think what we've seen from Faku over the course of these past couple weeks is that he can improve. And just it, it sort of depends on the shots. It sometimes defend, depends on having Bones Highland out there as well. Uh, be that as it may, Denver going into the season – made a very conscious decision to not go with a backup center. They decided that rather than uh, spend assets, spend money, spend a roster spot on a true backup center that they would have to pay a significant amount of money, uh, they would try to bring back the guys that they know, add a guy like Jeff Green that they know could be valuable in a playoff series, and just go from there. And I talked about this after last night's game. And I think that there's something to that thought process where you see a lot of the best teams and how they don't necessarily have a backup center in the playoffs. And then like I think you could point to the Milwaukee Bucks who used Bobby Portis as their primary big off the bench. You could point to the Phoenix Suns who had Dario Saric for much of the season, and then even Frank Kaminsky after him, and they they still did pretty well in those circumstances. Uh, they even used Torrey Craig while he was there before he went to Indiana. More on Torrey Craig later. Uh, the Nuggets last year, they used Paul Millsap and Jamichael Green with Jamal Murray, with Michael Porter. That was a much better scenario than it is right now. But now Denver is really in a position where they they are just stretched so thin by the injuries to their roster uh, that I want to talk about where the biggest problem areas are right now and then some internal and external solutions. Internally, you know you're going to get Jamal Murray back at some point. That is going to have a ripple effect for a lot of these issues, and maybe not necessarily the backup center issue, but there's going to be a lot of things that could potentially be solved by just adding Jamal Murray back to the fold. Uh, The starting point guard situation where Monte Morris has been up and down, he's been up lately, and I think that he deserves a lot of credit for that. 
but Jamal Murray is Jamal Murray, and if if he plays like he can, then that is going to be an upgrade. Monte Morris, by extension, would then be an upgrade for the bench, uh, because if he plays like he has played lately while coming off the bench, Denver's going to be in a really good position. I think that the reality facing Denver is that the biggest problem on their roster right now that isn't going to be solved by Jamal Murray coming back is the fact that Jokic is not going to play roughly 8 to 15 minutes a game in every single playoff game that he plays. I doubt that he plays over 40 minutes that often. I think realistically you can expect about 35 to 40 minutes from him on most nights. But there are going to be chunks of time where he's not going to be out there. And by the looks of it, Michael Porter's not going to be out there either. P.J. Dozier's not going to be out there to provide some switchable defense. Jamal Murray will probably be out there. They'll probably stagger him to high hell and be like, okay, Jamal, we need you to save us here. But I do think that Denver, when they decided to go with no backup center, they were really hoping to piece it together with a lot of the guys that have now not become available to them. Michael Porter, he would have been really helpful next to Jermichael Green. Jeff Green, he would have been helpful, but now he's starting. Aaron Gordon, he's starting and defending the opposing team's best player, even if that's a point guard. And that player plays the majority of the first and the third quarter, which means that Gordon hasn't been out there for the second and the fourth. And those are the quarters when Denver struggles most. Will Barton has staggered with the bench a ton. He's been the guy that has the the responsibility has fallen to him to carry everything. He can't really do that. He'll give you that once every three or four games or so, but most of the time, he's a guy who should be a complimentary piece, not necessarily a guy who should carry a unit. So they've got that going for them. Uh, And then Jermichael has just been playing bad, and we talked about that after last game, and I posted the numbers before podcasting tonight. Uh, He is now has one of the he is the third lowest net rating in the NBA behind Jalen Green and Terrence Ross. Jalen Green, of course, is a rookie. Terrence Ross is on the worst bench in the league in Orlando. You know the bench that actually beat Denver's bench. That bench, um, Jamichael Green. Not far behind Terrence Ross uh, because Jamichael's at 19.9 points uh, given up per 100 possessions. Terrence Ross is at 20.2. Uh, it's really bad. By the way, Faku Campazzo is also at minus 18.6. So he is not like innocent in this conversation and f- hasn't fully kicked a lot of the issues that are plaguing him. And a lot of those issues I think I'm starting to realize are on the defensive end, just as much as they are offensively. But Denver's in a tough spot right now because the other options that they have, as I mentioned before, Zeke Naji, Bol Bol, Vlako Chanchar, Peter Cornelly, they just haven't really played a ton, especially at the five. And Zeke's played more at the three and the four, kind of like pairing with Aaron Gordon, pairing with Jeff Green. Uh, but he's not going to play the five a ton, or at least he hasn't yet. And until we see that from Michael Malone, then I'm just going to hold my breath and say that that's, that's just not what's going to happen. Uh, maybe it does. Maybe he tries it. It wouldn't surprise me if he tries it after this road trip where you kind of take stock of what's going on, realize that, hey, this is just not really working and then try to pivot and do something different. What I will say is that these net ratings are far worse than what Yusuf Nurkic and Emmanuel Moutier and Kenneth Farid were putting up when they were in the starting lineup uh, back before Denver switched Nikola Jokic into the starting lineup in December 16th, 2016. Five-year anniversary of that day is coming up. 
So maybe we'll get something very interesting around that time. Denver does, in fact, play on December 15th this year. So wonder if we're saving it for something special. I don't know. That's a joke. That's that's definitely a joke. Um, but here's the thing. It's, it's super weird. And I, I know it sounds weird to be super worried about the 18, 8 to 15 minutes that Jokic isn't going to play. But they just have been super destructive minutes this year. For Denver, plus 13.2 net with Jokic on, minus 15.2 net with Jokic off. That's even when Jamichael Green hasn't played, or Faku hasn't played, or Denver's tried other combinations where it just, just hasn't really worked. And maybe stuff changes when Bones Highland comes back, Austin Rivers comes back, and maybe they decide to go small. Play Zeke Naji at the five. Maybe they try Vlako at the four. But right now, the backup center spot is the one that's most concerning to me, and I think it should be the most concerning to Nuggets fans. It doesn't look like Denver has their answer on the roster. And if they want to be competitive in the playoffs this year, if that is a goal of theirs, then I think that's something that they're going to have to think about entering trade season. Because the current plan just hasn't worked, and it's okay to admit fault and try to progress. That's my opinion on the matter, and I think that they've tried to be endearing to the group that they've had. They've tried to make it work. Jamichael Green's played 22 games. Faku's played 22 games out of the 24, or out of the 23, excuse me. I think the one game that Jermichael Green didn't play, he was out for. Faku's sat one game, but he's played in every other. So, they've tried. They've absolutely tried. Uh, we're going to see where it goes. The other position that I want to really talk about is backup wing. Uh, Jeff Green, he's filled in admirably for Michael Porter as the starter, in my opinion. There are still some things I think you can question with him, like effort from play to play, uh, the the attention to detail on certain aspects of things. But overall, he has been helpful. You cannot point to Jeff Green as the reason why Denver is losing games. That is my opinion. It's kind of been that way since he moved into the starting lineup. But he should have been a wing off the bench or a forward off the bench, if you will. Losing Green, losing P.J. Dozier from Denver's projected bench has made things really difficult for that group. It's put a lot of pressure now on Zeke Naji to be really good. And he's been mostly good. He shot 60% from three. So if he continues to get opportunities, then I expect him to play well. Uh, but there's only so much he can do as one guy. And as a complimentary wing... He has to be a player who he's not always going to be involved. And when you're a complimentary wing, a lot of what you do is dependent on the playmakers around you and the bigs around you. And Faku and Jamichael are the playmaker and the big right now. And when Bones Highland comes back, I think that'll bolster the playmaking side. And if Denver improves in the backup big spot, then I think that that will bolster the rest of the team as well. But I still think that Zeke, though he has been good, uh, they could still get some more. They could get some more help for sure. Uh, it's gotten so bad in Denver's rotation that the Nuggets are going to Dave Davon Reed on a 10-day contract. We'll see if he sticks after Bones and company comes back, but... I wouldn't be surprised if after the dust settles, Davon Reed's on the roster. I'm surprised that Vlako Chanchar hasn't really played. That seems pretty weird. Uh, Austin Rivers has played, but he hasn't really contributed where when there are all the other guards out there, when Austin Rivers is trying to play a complimentary role, he's just not great at that. I think he's better when the ball is in his hands, and or at least he was throughout most of his career. And as he's been phased out in different situations, I think he's been less effective in general. So 
Bones is too small to defend the bigger wings, forwards, and bigs, of course. So when you play Will Barton with that second unit, and you play Bones and you play Faku, it might make sense to add somebody else that's kind of big, that's in that six foot eight range. Somebody who can play the three, but also can slide to the four and be pretty comfortable doing it. Uh, I don't know what Denver's ultimate rotation would be when most of the guys come back healthy, when everybody comes back healthy, but I can see that Denver has a dearth of talent on the wing right now. Guys that they trust, guys that they can trust to do the right thing. Uh, Players that can switch, players that can shoot, players that can create anything when the ball finds them. So there there could be there could be some additions to be had and I think that that's something that Denver has to really consider. But it's not going to happen on their roster because PJ Dozier's out, Michael Porter's out, and there is nobody else. There really isn't. I don't think the Nuggets need anything else legitimately beyond that. I think you could argue that you could use a playmaking guard, but I'd rather just trust Bones. I'd rather just hope that he's good and continue to play him because when he's been effective, Denver has been effective. Barton's going to continue rotating with him anyway. So off the bench, if you told me that you had uh, Bones, Barton, Faku for now, and then Monte when when Jamal comes back, I think that's good enough. I think that is fine. It's not great defensively, and it's something that I'd be really concerned about from a an on-ball defense standpoint, but they'll figure it out. Maybe Bones continues to improve size-wise, continues to improve uh, physically, and then he can take on some of the tough perimeter defense assignments at various points. Uh, that would really help if he were able to do that. Uh in addition, the starting line, I don't think you can really touch the starting lineup either. You just don't have the resources, nor do you really need to, because if Jamal Murray comes back, uh, would it be nice to have another athletic small forward that can shoot that could replace Michael Porter and be better than Jeff Green? Sure. But I also am kind of okay with a Jamal Murray, Will Barton, Aaron Gordon, Jeff Green, Nikola Jokic lineup. Like, I think that's good enough. It really is. And Denver can go small, Denver can go big, but having some other flexibility on the bench would be super helpful too. So let's take a break. When we come back, we are going to discuss uh, the backup big position first, backup center, what Denver can do to fill in for some of the bad minutes that they've had. We will be right back. We're back. Big Axe and Roll, Ryan Blackburn here. Thank you so much for tuning in. Let's discuss now uh, backup center options. And, and the reason why I want to approach this now as opposed to in the future, because December 15th is around the corner. That is officially when players that were signed in the, uh, in the offseason, that is officially when a significant portion of them are eligible to be traded once again. Uh, It is an artificial time relatively early in the season, about a third of the way through, in which teams have been able to see what's good about their team, what's bad about their team, and then can start making decisions or can at least start having those conversations about the players that were signed in the offseason and then maybe make changes. It's kind of the unofficial start to the NBA trade calendar as well. Teams don't always make trades this early, but there are on occasion some pretty good moves that are made. I remember one such move when Jordan Clarkson was acquired by the Utah Jazz pretty early in, I think, January. Uh, He turned into a six-man-of-the-year candidate and then a winner. 
Uh, he was a very helpful player for them, and I don't think that you can really blame Jordan Clarkson for any of the wrongs that the Utah Jazz have had of late. Uh, but it's one of those moves that the Jazz identified pretty early in the process and then just decided to act. They were happy with the price and then made a move. But they also had a major need at that point and knew that they had to capitalize, knew that they had to do something. So I think that Denver has identified a couple of major needs given the injuries that they've had uh, with Michael Porter out, with P.J. Dozier out, Jeff Green moving to the starting lineup. Backup wing feels like a big need. With Jamichael Green really struggling with Denver not having a seven-footer on the roster outside of Jokic, backup center feels like a need. Those aren't going away. They're going to be here from now until the end of the year. Unless Denver changes something. And like Jamal Murray coming back, like I said in the first segment, that might ease some of the burden of the guards. But Denver's still going to need some sort of wing option. They're going to need a little bit of extra size, somebody that they could trust off the bench that is going to provide that physicality, that defense, but also be able to shoot in the process. You want a 3 and D wing. Those aren't cheap. Let's talk about center options first. Denver does not have a bunch of resources available to them. They don't have the ability to trade a first-round pick until 2027, unless I'm incorrect. They could trade this year's pick if they wanted to. Uh, Wait, no, that's not true. Because they gave up 2023, they gave up 2025. So they can't trade their 2022 pick. They can't trade their 2024 or their 2026. The next available first round pick they have available to trade is 2027. They can also technically trade 2028 if they wanted to, one of the two. Uh, But that is as far out as they can go. They can only go seven years into the future. Those are the rules laid out by the NBA. And Denver, it means that they only have one available first round pick that they could trade. They also have, I think, three second round picks, 2025, 2026, and 2028. So it's not like they have a bunch of trade capital that they can just go and dish out. It's going to be tough. It is definitely going to be tough. Uh, So all of this to say, the trade options that you're about to hear, they're not the sexiest names. They're not the big names that are going to be dominating the headlines. Denver's going to have to work on the margins. They're going to have to make smart moves. They may have to kind of eat some value and not be able to get the player that they're looking for, or they'll get a player that they're looking for, but it may not be the best possible player. It may just be somebody that kind of helps right the ship a little bit, not necessarily push them over the top. But that's what they need right now. They need somebody to right the ship. They need somebody to help stabilize what has been an awful bench situation. Maybe two somebodies, maybe three. So here are some of the names that I identified. Get ready to be blown away because Gorgie Jang of the Atlanta Hawks is the first name that I, that I have. He is a six foot ten uh, center from Senegal. He's been play, he's played eight minutes per game. This year, because the Atlanta Hawks, they play Clint Capella as their starter. They rotate John Collins as they, their primary backup five. Jang has not really played. He's, he's played in most of the games, I think, but he, he just barely plays extended minutes because you want to have John Collins rolling to the rim. You want to have Clint Capella rolling to the rim. In addition, Atlanta has Onyeka Okongwu coming back from surgery at some point this year, and they're going to want to see what they have in a sixth overall pick. So, I think that they're probably going to be okay with letting go of Gorgie Jang, either now or closer to the trade deadline. He shoots 33% from three. He's a more of a pick-and-pop option than he is a roller, but he's on a one-year $4 million contract. 
he can be had for cheap. I'm not sure what the Hawks would want in return. Perhaps a second round pick. Uh, Perhaps they have another position that they would prefer to fill, but they are one of the stacked rosters in the NBA. And for that reason, they probably won't make a deal for the sake of making a deal. But if you give them the right guy, then they might be willing to. So I'm not sure Denver has that player available to them, but they should at least explore it. Next, Daniel Tice, Houston Rockets, on a four-year, $36 million contract. He's averaging about $9 million a season. Uh, I floated this idea on Twitter. It included Daniel Tice as well as Daniel House. Uh, he is somebody who uh, – House specifically. It, I'm, I'm going to get to him more later because I think he's a guy that could really help and actually makes a lot of sense. Uh But Tice specifically has been a starter for Houston, and he hasn't been good. They've actually been really bad when he's on the floor. It does not help that they have been really bad because Jalen Green and Kevin Porter Jr. have been really bad. They don't have a good roster. Uh, But their veterans uh, in Christian Wood and Eric Gordon, when they're they're put into good positions to succeed, they've actually rattled off a six-game win streak lately. So, I think there is something to potentially trading Tice away, despite the fact that they just signed him this year, opening up more time for for Alperun Sangun, Shangun, excuse me, playing Christian Wood at center more frequently. Tice just makes a lot of sense for Denver because he's a good roller. He's averaging one point two five points per possession on a as a roll man in pick and roll that does include pick and pops. He's shooting 31% from three, which I can't believe I'm saying this is an 11% improvement over Jermichael Green right now. I think that Tice would have better shooting opportunities in Denver. He's going to play with better creators in general. Uh, He's not a guy who's going to spot up, but you don't want him to do that in Denver. You want him to be the guy who sets the pick, rolls to the rim, draws some defense, and then plays good, solid defense on the other end of the floor. He is only six foot eight, so he's not like Gorgie Jang at six ten or not a seven footer like many people want, but maybe being six foot eight keeps him a little bit more playable in the playoffs. Somebody who isn't going to be played off the floor by an elite pick and roll duo. Uh, there is at least something to that. I wouldn't hold my breath, but he would at least help Denver get through the regular season. Same thing goes for Kelly Olynyk of the Detroit Pistons. Isaiah Stewart is their starter now. Uh, Kelly Olynyk has been out. He's been hurt for about four weeks with an MCL sprain in his knee. Uh, but he supposedly should be ready in a couple weeks. That is great. Uh, he's been a career 36% three-point shooter. He showed some playmaking chops. Uh, he's not going to help the defense. And that is... Like, that's pretty clear based off of his uh, history. But he is going to help the offense. He would definitely, definitely help. And I think that between Tice and Kelly Olynyk, you're probably looking at a swap of Jamichael Green while throwing in something else. Uh, Whether those teams will be interested in those deals, I don't know. I think that it sounds like Houston might be more interested because they like Shangun. Olenek, I'm just not sure. Uh, So much about the Detroit situation. They should be tanking. They definitely should be tanking. Uh, But I'm just not sure what they really want from Kelly Olenek or why they signed him in general. Uh, They're currently playing Trey Lyles at backup center. That's fine. Tank away. Uh, But Jamichael Green could also play center for them and be just as fundamental, I guess. Um, Kelly Olenek would be helpful in Denver. Would he be the best option? I don't know. But I think he's a better player than Jamichael Green. And I think that he would help Denver with their floor spacing in a lot of cases. Would really help uh, Bones Highland and uh, Faku, I think. Alex Len is another option, as well as Tristan Thompson in Sacramento. 
Alex Lenz on a two-year $7.6 million deal. Tristan Thompson is on a one-year $9.7 million deal. Uh, They're both backing up Rashawn Holmes, who has been fantastic. He is exactly what Sacramento has needed, and he is definitely not the issue. The guys behind him are the issue. Marvin Bagley, and you're asking me, why are you you trading for them then, Ryan? Well, I'm hoping that a change of scenery might help. It might help uh, a lot of these guys, but Alex Len is an actual seven-footer, a legitimate seven-foot-250 guy. Not super efficient as a rolling big man, but he is a decent defender. And he also does roll to the rim. Like, like he's going to consistently do that if you ask him to. And I think that Denver, just kind of from a schematic standpoint, would be very, very helpful if... Uh, yeah, he would be very, very helpful given what Denver's about to put out there. Hypothetically, Faku, Bones, Barton, Zeke Naji, Alex Len. It's not the most talented group, but Alex Len can set a lot of pick and rolls and Zeke Naji can set a lot of pick and pops. And then you can structure an offense around that. I think there's something to that. Tristan Thompson, same kind of thing. In Sacramento, for some reason, he was traded along with Delon Wright um, in a three-team deal that involved the Celtics. He's not in Sacramento's long-term plans. I'm not even sure Marvin Bagley is, but I think Bagley is closer to their long-term plans than Tristan Thompson, for sure. Thompson's the same size as Jermichael Green. He's not a big dude. He is more of a bulldog, like a bulldozer type Somebody who's very strong, but isn't going to be doing a lot of rim protection or anything like that. He's not going to catch a lot of lobs. But he is a good rebounder. He is the nose for the ball. Would be a good pick and roll guy. Just as long as uh, the shooters are very willing to kind of draw two defenders and take some tough shots. Because Thompson would be there to clean it up. At least at a more efficient and effective rate than Jermichael Green has so far this year. Finally, two guys from Dallas, Willie Cauley-Stein and Boban Marjanovic. Cauley-Stein is on a one-year $4.2 million deal, struggled offensively this year, actually has really struggled. He's shooting 45% from the field, but I just don't think he would do that in Denver. Actually, I mean, I don't really know why he's shooting 45% from the field. I should ask some Dallas folks like what they have seen from him because that's just an abnormally bad number. But I just don't see that continuing because he's been so good as kind of a lob guy and as a an above-the-rim threat for a lot of his career. Struggled offensively, but he is a good screener. He is somebody who will run the pick and roll pretty well. And somebody like Faku could really benefit from his presence because he's not going to, he's not going to be a shooter. Kali uh, Stein is, but he is going to be an above the rim guy, somebody who puts pressure on it, maybe draws a little bit of attention away from Faku, and then if Faku can use that and leverage that, then he'll kick it out to the other shooters, whether it's Bones, Barton, Zeke, guys of that nature. Uh, and then lob it up to Willie Cauley-Stein if there is an opportunity to do so. That does make some sense. The other one's Boban, and he's only played 85 minutes this year. He's a big body, would be good for Joker from a personal standpoint. Not sure he would really help Denver on the courts, uh, but if he is helping the chemistry, if he is helping the entire locker room, then that would probably have an intrinsic value in some sort of way. Uh, but I just don't there's – there's a reason why he doesn't play. There is a reason why he isn't consistent. Uh, he just can't move in the pick and roll. And so many teams take advantage of that. They put a lot of pressure on him, and then it puts a lot of pressure on the help defense. And because of that, uh, I don't think it's something that I would consider, but I mean – if he was a part of a deal with the Dallas Mavericks, then I don't think the Jokic would turn his nose up at it, is all I will say. Let's take a break. 
When we come back, we are going to talk about backup wing options now. Bigger list than the backup center options, and I think a little bit more interesting. We will be right back. final segment pickaxe and roll thank you so much for tuning in if you could it would be awesome if you could rate review and subscribe on apple Podcasts, spotify wherever you get your podcasts that would be great let's talk about the backup wing spots and here's how i really think about it i think that ideally denver's rotation when jamal murray comes back includes him starting includes will barton Jeff Green, Aaron Gordon, Nikola Jokic. Off the bench is very different. So I think you can pencil in Monte Morris and he's probably going to play the point guard spot. I think that if you don't want to continue to stagger Barton, then it's okay. You can play Monte, you can play Bones. As long as you have a wing next to those guys who can really help and can kind of bridge the gap between those two units. Uh, play some good defense, hit some outside shots, uh, be versatile. That would be really helpful for that group. And if you play Zeke Naji at the four and you play whoever you get for backup center at the five, that's a pretty good unit. That feels pretty good. I, I could definitely see that working. So the names that I've come up with here kind of range. They're mostly They're mostly within target value. Some of them are not. Some of them are names that I think are going to be a little bit more uh, questionable. Like, Ryan, what are you thinking? Or, Ryan, why are you thinking this? Why would Denver do this? Uh, Bear with me here because wings are so valuable in the NBA, but they can also go from valuable to superfluous real quick because a lot of these guys, if they find the right situation, they become uh, like gold. You want to hold on to them as much as you can because uh, the value just keeps its it keeps its value no matter what the situation. But if those guys stop shooting or if the team kind of experiences some issues with their primary playmaking and then it has a residual effect on the complementary players, that can really have an effect. And to some degree that has happened in Denver, but the fact is, is that they don't have Dozier. They don't have Jeff Green to be a backup anymore. They need some other guys. They need another body. And I don't think that you want to play Will Barton 35 to 38 minutes entering the playoffs. I think you'd rather try to go with a 10-man rotation as opposed to the standard nine-man rotation that you've usually been running. So let's just see. Daniel House is the one name that I already mentioned. One year, $3.7 million expiring contract. Right now, the Houston Rockets are rebuilding, but they've also won six games in a row. And that can't happen. Both of those things are kind of uh, incongruent, I will say. Jalen Green, Jayshon Tate, Kevin Porter Jr., Josh Christopher, Eric Gordon. Like those guys are going to play pretty consistently in my opinion because they aren't going to be able to move Eric Eric Gordon. He's kind of there to stay on that really bad contract. But they can move House and I don't think the House is necessary for them going forward, but it could be a lot more helpful to a team like Denver where they have their playmaking in place. They have their stars in place. All you need is the complementary pieces to kind of make it work. And I think that he's somebody that could really improve in a better situation. He's shooting a bad percentage from three, but he's a career 36% shooter. I think he's a bulldog defender when he wants to be, but why would he want to be right now? Like, He's not a talented guy from a defensive standpoint, but he is really good when he works hard. And I think he would work hard in a better situation. One guy who I think is out of Denver's price range is Cody Martin with the Charlotte Hornets. And you're like, who? Cody Martin? Why? He's he's on a one-year, 
$1.8 million contract, and he's been fantastic. He's shooting 49% from three this year. He's been extremely helpful for the Charlotte Hornets, and he's probably priced himself out of Denver's range, to be frank. They, like, like he averages about 26 minutes a night. He's somebody who they think of as very important, as very valuable. They do have a young rookie in James Booknight who they like and who they probably want to see a little bit more of at some point, but just because James Booknight exists doesn't mean that they're just going to trade Cody Martin for nothing. They're going to want some value for him. If I were them, I'd probably try to pair him with Mason Plumley or something else and maybe a first-round pick and then go get a big center. Go get somebody who they could actually start, somebody like Miles Turner. But that's not a valuable trade that Denver can do. They have to do something on the margins. So he's kind of the funhouse mirror version Cody Martin is of what I hoped P.J. Dozier would be for this year. Like has the high IQ, has the good defensive versatility, somebody who is very, very smart. The Hornets aren't going to give him up for what Denver can offer, just right off the bat. Kenrich Williams, though, that's actually kind of the same way because he's on this very cheap contract. He's somebody who Denver could really use, but he's a complimentary player that everybody could use. And OKC, they're not just going to give him up for nothing. They're going to want picks, which is something that I don't think Denver can do. Now, if they wanted to do bull bull in a second round pick, I think Denver could get behind that. I, I would certainly get behind that if I were Denver. You get Kenrich Williams, somebody who can immediately play, who's going to raise the overall IQ of the defense in Denver's bench unit. And then you can also do some handling. You can also do some shooting. That's really helpful. It's kind of like a, a mini version of Kyle Anderson, if you will, where Kyle Anderson's been doing this in the league for a long time, been a very helpful player for a long time. And I think that Kenrich Williams is kind of turning into that version of NBA player who's going to be helpful on various teams because somebody's going to give him an opportunity to be in a winning situation and he's going to help teams win. Right now, he's helping the Thunder win. He actually has, on basketball reference, it's funny, he has a plus one net rating, which in and of itself is not that valuable. His on-off net rating is plus 17, because when he doesn't play, they've been awful. Somebody go save Kenrich Williams, even if it's not Denver. He seems like a guy that would really help a championship contender as a role player off the bench. Speaking of Kyle Anderson, let's talk about him real quick. He is being phased out in Memphis. He was playing a bigger role last year. They have a lot of players when healthy that are really good and really talented and deserve to play. John Morant, Dylan Brooks, Desmond Bain, DeAnthony Melton, Tyus Jones, Zaire Williams, John Conchar, Brandon Clark. Those are all guys that can play the one, two, or three. Clark will move to the four, uh, Zaire Williams to the three, DeAnthony Melton to the two, Desmond Bain to the two and three. Uh, those guys are probably going to stay in Memphis's plans. And when if Denver wanted to trade for them, I don't think that they could, not unless they gave up something else that was valuable that they're probably not willing to part with. But Kyle Anderson on a one-year $9.9 million expiring contract could be pretty helpful for Denver. He's been a part of some bad lineups in Memphis, but I have a feeling that that's because they want to play a certain way that he just doesn't really fit anymore. They're going to want to play a little bit faster. Kyle Anderson's nickname is Slow-Mo. Denver plays at the slowest pace in the league. Kyle Anderson is a very smart, high-IQ basketball player. He would be really helpful in a Nuggets uniform. And at the six foot eight, six foot nine that he is, shooting 35% from three, good playmaker, smart defender. I think he could be really helpful. Now, Memphis would have to be willing to agree to what Denver would offer. And Jamichael Green is the guy that Denver would offer because of the matching salaries. 
which is why I don't think it's going to happen. But he would be a really good fit. Next are the Indiana players. Karis Levert and Justin Holiday. Well, so Indiana, the, the rumor came out today that Indiana was willing to fire sale, basically. They want to start a rebuild. They're willing to trade either of Miles Turner or DeMontis Sabonis, as well as Karis Levert. Uh, they are done with the current group. They're probably going to keep one of those great bigs that they have. They're keeping Malcolm Brogdon. They're, they're keeping Chris Duarte. And they're just going to rebuild. They're going to do what they can to kind of do a soft tank, I think. And if that's the case, then some of these other superfluous pieces could be had. And it just kind of depends on what you're looking for and what you can offer. But TJ McConnell just went out. Um, he just went and had surgery on torn ligaments in his wrist. He's going to be out for several months. That could be a great place for Faco Campazzo, somebody where they're going to want him to do a lot of what TJ McConnell does and kind of be the zippy backup point guard, could really go out there and, and help them out from a uh, playmaking standpoint, from a energy standpoint where they're going to need some of that. They're going to need some replacement there, at least for the time being. And there are some wings in Indiana that I think Denver would be interested in. And Karis LeVert is too pricey. He's not going to be somebody that Denver wants, nor somebody that Denver can get. Justin Holiday, though, he is the ideal player for what Denver needs. He'd be great. Good defender, good shooter, fits like a glove. He's somebody who has the size to move from the three to the four a little bit on the defensive end. But if you play him at the three, Next to Bones, next to Will Barton staggering, Monte Morris maybe when Jamal Murray comes back, then I think that you could be like you could be pretty happy with that as a trio off the bench. Monte Morris, Bones Highland, Justin Holiday. That's great. That'd be a great foundation. Um I don't think Indiana is going to trade Justin Holiday. I think that he's too valuable to their culture. They really like him. Um I'd love it if they did, though. I'd really love it. He just seems like a guy that would fit really well a lot of places. And Denver, given that they just lost Dozier, given that Porter's probably lost, uh, just seems like a guy that would fit really well. Jeremy Lamb, not as much of a fit. One-year, $10 million contract. Uh, 39% from three. Really good shooter. Really bad defender, though. He would be somebody that would be played off the floor if you were Denver. And so this is just about kind of getting through the regular season. I'm not sure Denver wants to trade for a guy like that. I think they'd want to pref they prefer to add somebody that they could count on in a playoff rotation. Uh, I just don't see it. I really don't. Um, but they could add Torrey Craig. Torrey Craig, two years, $10 million deal. He's basically the same player that he was for Denver a couple months ago. Hard-nosed defender, hard-nosed rebounder, can't shoot it at all. Uh, good positional fits, but might not actually be a good fit in reality. Um, but kind of like Justin Holiday, I could see a Bones, Barton, Craig, Zeke, and backup center lineup working out pretty well. If you add Faku into it, I'm not really sure. I think Faku would kind of be the, the matching salary that would probably go. Uh, but it would just be tough. It would be a really tough sell uh, from a spacing standpoint. You'd be seeing a lot of guys that are flying around due to energy and making a lot of hustle plays defensively. And the offensive rating would be pretty bad, but it is what it is. You just kind of get through it. Final name here. Um, this is probably not a name that is going to be available, probably not somebody that Denver could or would want to have. Aaron Neesmith of the Boston Celtics. This is kind of the, uh, the rookie contract guy that hasn't worked out in his first opportunity that I still think is very talented. 
He's a young wing with Boston, but he hasn't really had that opportunity yet. They've had Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart. They're playing Romeo Langford over him. Uh, they're playing Josh Richardson. They have Peyton Pritchard. They have just a lot of guys that are playing over Aaron Neesmith right now that I don't think are that good. Um, when you've got a 2020 first round pick like this, who was an elite outside shooter in college, you should probably play somebody like that. Because I really liked his game. I, I really thought that he would translate from a shooting perspective. But Boston's offense has been pretty bad with Jason Tatum and with Jalen Brown for a long time. They don't run great stuff. They don't create a lot of good shots for other people. So I've liked this game a lot, Aaron Neesmith's game. I think he's a versatile outside-in shooter. And what I mean by that is you leverage your outside shot, use that to create opportunities for cuts, uh, flashes to the rim for other people, stuff like that. Uh, he's not going to help you defensively, but playing a more consistent role next to other creators, I think he could really bounce back, have, have a pretty solid impact for some team. Uh, it's just about finding the price point. It's just about finding the willing time for Boston to give up on him. Maybe they would be willing to. Uh, it just kind of depends on what you offer back. Not sure what Boston would need. But uh, consider this an idea for other young players that are kind of distressed assets in their various situations. Aaron e. Smith is just, I think, a good example for what Denver would need specifically. That's about it. That's all I have for names. Uh, if you have a name that you'd like to throw at me, then make sure to do so in the comments on this podcast or on Twitter. Uh, that is going to do for this episode of Pickaxe and Roll, presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. Like I said, I will be back tomorrow night, or tomorrow just to recap the Nuggets-Pelicans game, and then the Nuggets-Spurs game immediately after that. Should be fun, or at least I'm hoping that it is. We will see if Denver can bounce back, whether, whether the bench issues are as bad as I'm making them out to be right here. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Really appreciate all the love and support. We'll talk to you guys very soon.